this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. I think you've also stumbled into another part of great delicious food. It does taste better when someone else does the work, especially when it's someone that you love. Like there's no more show of care and love than cooking for someone. That's why we do it, right? So when your husband's making a sandwich, it's coming from a totally different place. And like you are receiving all of that love through a delicious bite, every bite of his sandwiches, which are perfect. food fans. I'm food writer and culinary entrepreneur Sabrina Medora, and you're listening to Homemade by All Recipes. Each week, we bring you talented home cooks, authors, chefs, and celebrities to discuss the memories and traditions behind their favorite foods, along with discussions on what's happening in food culture today. It's hard to believe, but we have come to the end of season two, and what a phenomenal season it has been. A special thank you to all of our listeners who've been with Homemade since the very beginning, and to all that are new to our Homemade family. We are so very grateful for you. And now, allow me to introduce our guest for this season's finale. Taking time off from his own podcast, Food Court, not to mention his extremely hectic TV and restaurant schedule, here he is to chat with us about sandwiches, chicken wings, and so much more. Easily recognizable across many food TV shows, he's probably best known as a Top Chef All-Star winner. And, fun fact, his answer to the question, why do you want to become Top Chef, is actually what prompted me to quit my job in advertising and become a food writer. This is the biggest professional moment of my career. For me, it would mean my own restaurant. You know, I mean, as chefs, sometimes you have to do things because of money and finances. And, uh, this would give me the opportunity to do something that I want to do as a chef. Thank you. Richard. You are Top Chef. <laughs> in between opening Ember and Rye, a new restaurant in Carlsbad, California, he's also acting as culinary director for the San Diego Symphony's newest performance space, the Rady Shell at Jacobs Park. He's also opening a new restaurant called Four Flamingos in Orlando, Florida, and he's slated to star in Fox's Next Level Chef culinary competition show with Gordon Ramsay. You can also watch him on Top Chef Family Style on Peacock TV. Everyone, please welcome to Homemade our final guest of the season, Chef Richard Blaze. It is so great to have you here, Richard. I know there's a lot of stuff happening on your end. You've got new shows coming up. You've got new restaurants coming up. Mm -hmm. Tell me what this year has been like for you. 
Oh, I mean, I, 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 a lot of anxiety. I mean, truly, like right before I jumped on with you, where you know we're going through with my wife Jasmine, going through the schedule, and just it's all great things, but there's a hundred moving parts. And as you know, when it comes to restaurants and anything related to food or filming food, it's a lot harder than people might think. Even when it just comes to setting up a camera and showing someone how to chop an onion, which was a request I got today from one of my <laughs> one of my partners for a video. So uh, yeah, great great problems to have. But we're very very busy. We're opening up new restaurants. We're trying to write our third cookbook, which I'm way behind on. Not to you know, not, you can see the anxiety coming through. Probably hear it in my voice right now. We're opening up a restaurant in Orlando in a couple of weeks, and. We're shooting a pilot for a show coming up that I can't really discuss. We have a new show on Fox coming out. We got another project in development. So I'm very happy, very grateful, and probably at a point where we need to hire a few people, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. We're, we're one step away from probably having to grow a team from you know three people to five or six at least, which is a, a, a big change in, in staffing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, hey, if this podcast doesn't work out for me, I'm going to come knocking on your door. Oh, my gosh. Okay. The door <laughs> is there to be knocked on. And I think the podcast is working. So uh, we will not hear from you. But we, we get to spend time today. Yes. Yes. I appreciate it. Um, so this podcast, we love talking about cooking at home, cooking with family, favorite cooking memories. So we're really going to dig into all of that. Um, I know that our audience loves you because of everything they've seen on TV all the way back from Top Chef season four back in Chicago to today. Mm. Gosh, that's been a long time now. It has. Yeah. Now 12 years, 13, something like that. I, I always forget until you see one of my castmates from that show put a picture or myself and you're like, oh, wow, we were literally babies. Yeah. You know, it was like Muppet babies. Like now that the, that that show, Top Chef, the franchise has gone on for, for as long as it has, you can go back and look at some of those early seasons and be like, oh, this was like Top Chef Muppet babies version. Look at clean shaven, uh, chubby Richard <laughs> Blaze and Angry Dale and so many of my friends. Um, it is fun Dale. to see, see the throwbacks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we get to see a little bit of your family through social media, which I love. So you have two beautiful girls. Yes. Wasn't your younger one born like, during the finale of um, All Stars? Yes. Both of my girls have been born in the orbit of my finales on Top Chef. Oh, my so gosh. So it, it's been very, very interesting. As a matter of fact, the, the season that I won, the preferred season, if you're in, <laughs> <laughs> if you're, if you're in our house, you know, my daughter, my youngest daughter was born truly like right after I came back from winning. My wife was so pregnant that there's usually that scene where they invite family members in, but she couldn't travel. She couldn't go on a plane because she was that pregnant. Mm -hmm. So my uncle came out there. So yes, they, they both were, they've both been born right in the orbit of Top Chef finales. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, huge kudos to your wife, Jasmine, because navigating a pregnancy right in the third trimester, it could not have been easy. And to do that with the anxiety of having your husband trying to win Top Chef, I mean, she's superwoman for sure. A hundred percent. A lot of people don't see that with these reality shows, especially the competitions, the ones like Top Chef, where when you are on that show, you're totally disconnected from your reality. Like they take your wallet, they take your cell phone, you're not reading newspapers, you're, you're truly in an alternate reality for, you know, six weeks, seven weeks, whatever it is. So the strain that that causes on significant others and family members and friends and businesses alike is incredible. It's, just, it's, a, it's a show within a show, to be honest. And yeah, I give a lot of credit to my wife. She's always figured out how to best navigate my personality, which is filled with anxiety and, and stress. 
and tension to begin with and how to work with me to make sure that we we succeed. Well, you did. They called you the professor for a while. In fact, we still refer to you as the professor in my house. Mm. <laughs> Unwarranted. I failed chemistry in high school. That's an odd fact as a sophomore really? in high school. So yes. So my thirst for knowledge didn't come till later in life, but um, it's cool to be called the professor, but I, I don't know how much actual uh, knowledge is, is, is up here. People think I'm a very, you know, the molecular gastronomist, the science guy. But if you were here five minutes before we jumped on, Jasmine was helping me set up the headphones. So uh, I'm not <laughs> as much of a tech guy as people think I am. <laughs> I got you. So your kids love cooking with you. I, I know I've seen them in videos with you. How early did you start getting them in the kitchen? Um, yeah, you know, do they love cooking? I mean, I think they love cooking and they're around. We don't force it. Uh, I think a lot of people are always like, chef's kids, they must be great cooks or they must eat so many interesting things. And, you know, that's true and false. Everyone's their own individual. And my two girls are, are very much so. And uh, so we don't force them to get in the kitchen. I do think that when kids are doing anything with their own hands, they will have a greater appreciation for it, right? So whether it's art, crafts, whatever whatever they're doing, so cooking is one of those, they'll eat food that they cook, just like they love the art that they draw or paint. Um, so I do like getting them in the kitchen, but it's definitely not um, anything that's forced because it's such a hard profession. And I'm certainly trying to send them to a, a non-culinary profession for sure. Are there any favorite like family recipes that are constantly on repeat in your house? There are. I mean, it's a lot of health and wellness and sort of um, fitness here, even for the kids who are both uh, young athletes. So we're very mindful of, uh, you know, of, of what we eat in this house for sure. That being said, when dad's cooking, it's a little more relaxed. I love carbs. I love pasta. Spaghetti bolognese or simple pasta dishes are on repeat here. 100% for sure. And then, you know, turkey sandwiches. Uh, my, actually, a really highlight of my career and cooking world the other day, my youngest, I was filling in for Jasmine, my wife, for a couple of days, making all of the lunches. And my little one told me that I make better sandwiches than mom. And it was a very, very big moment because there's nothing that I do better than Jasmine. To be honest, like she's a better driver. She's <laughs> Certainly more educated. She handles all of our finances. She's much more organized. And, and my kids love her food much more than my own. So when I got that one little sort of like perk, like, oh, well, hey, you know what? Your turkey sandwiches are next level, dad. It made me feel pretty good. And the key is just a little bit of salt. Very, very basic, but just like uh, a little, little bit of salt on the mayonnaise. Got to have the right ratio of mayonnaise to mustard for the sandwiches that we make thin, thin shaved cheese. You know, you need you need a chef's touch for some of these things. <laughs> okay, I want to dig into this because actually you're hitting on something very personal. We just had a big discussion about it in my household. My parents are visiting right now and I was like, oh, I'm starving, but I'm super busy. And my mom goes, let me make you a sandwich. I go, no, you're not allowed. <laughs> in fact, nobody is allowed to make me a sandwich except my husband. Even I'm not allowed to make myself a sandwich because... My husband has this method. I don't know what it is. He is not a good cook. If you ask him to do something, it's a big chore. But he will get every bite of that sandwich to perfection. Mm. The ratios are perfect. There's a bite of everything. The banana pepper's just right. The chicken is right there. Ooh. The mustard is perfect. Ooh. Meanwhile, I'll make myself a sandwich and I have a whole yeah. mouthful of just mustard. <laughs> mm. It's an art. Listen, um, I actually, I'm going to bring this back full circle to when I won Top Chef. I, you, know, you get to bring in a moleskin with you and you take notes. I'm even taking notes here. 
Uh, and I would fill it up with notes because you can't come in with any recipes. Everything's improv. But if you remember things, you can write them down. You can draw pictures, whatever you want. So you get an empty notebook. And my whole notebook was filled with this saying called the sandwich theory. This is a real thing. No one's ever heard of this. You're getting a world premiere here. Okay, here we go. The sandwich theory, which is that any dish, any fine dining dish, anything that you make, that you should be able to translate it to a delicious sandwich, meaning... What makes a great sandwich? It might have sweet and sour. It's got textural contrast. It's got temperature contrast from maybe cold lettuce and warm chicken like you just mentioned. Whatever it is, there's fat, there's acidity. So I always thought about all of my dishes on Top Chef All-Stars. I said, could I make this you know, braised pork shank with chili verde and grits? Would that be a delicious sandwich? And if I could, in my mind, figure that out, as being a sandwich, it was all green light to go ahead and proceed. So it's a very, sandwiches are tough. And like if your husband's making great sandwiches, hats off to him because he understands then salty, sweet, textural contrast, temperature contrast, all of these things that make food great, that take food to the next, next level for sure. Totally. You know, I made sandwiches for four years in college. That's how that's my job. That's what I did. And oh, wow. Where did you make sandwiches? I was at a cafe in my university. It was I went to IU, Indiana University, and I worked at Ballantine Cafe for all the Hoosiers listening out there. I worked there for four years. My first boss was Susan. And then I had Drew and it was awesome. And all I did was make wraps and sandwiches Mm. for like sometimes 12 hours a day. And you would think I would have gotten good at it, but no. <laughs> yeah, well, there's also this side of it, though. I think you've also stumbled into another part of great, delicious food. It does taste better when someone else does the work. There you go. Especially when it's, especially when it's someone that you love. Like, there's no more, you know, um, show of, of care and love than cooking for someone. That's why we do it, right? So when your husband's making a sandwich, it's coming from a totally different place, and like, you are receiving all of that love through a delicious bite, every bite of his sandwiches, which are perfect. That's awesome. What's your go-to sandwich then? What What oh is gosh. your ultimate ultimate sandwich? Oh my gosh. That's a really You're hard pulling, question. Okay, what about this? What Do you, do you go to any like um, fast casual sandwich places? Like, like I don't know. Like I love um, Jersey Mike's as an example. I have no affiliation, okay. but I like Jersey Mike's. I'm a number seven guy, Mike's way, as an example. Do you do... You do the Subway or the Jersey Mike's or I have that. The Quiznos. I gotta tell you, it's it's Jimmy John's. Yes. They're bread, man. Is it the bread? Okay, I haven't been to Jimmy John's in forever. The bread is so good. I do their Billy Club. Uh, I don't know if you know the comedian, the late Mitch Hedberg, who's like a master of like dry one-liners, but he's got a great couple of lines on club sandwiches. <laughs> I order the club sandwich all the time, and I'm not even a member, man. I don't know how I get away with it. <laughs> I like my sandwiches with three pieces of bread. So do I. Well, let's form a club then. At one point, someone decided to throw an extra slice of bread into a club sandwich. It's got three slices of bread in it. That's a crazy decision. If I did that on Top Chef, it would be molecular gastronomy. (laughs) Like, that's a big deal. Like, we're going to make a triple-decker sandwich. Tom would be like, I wasn't sure about this idea, but but you sold it. You did it. Right. And then you you put the frilly toothpick in there. Did you think? We can't eat the frilly toothpick. We can't eat the toothpick. Right. It's, it's, a, it's an, ed- an edible garnish. What is going on? Remember, if you watch cartoons like I did as a kid, like watching Tom and Jerry and like every toothpick that was on a sandwich had like olives and peppers and like all of these. That's to me, that's what like Ember and Rye, which is a throwback restaurant. Like I love that. We got to bring that back. Like every frilly toothpick should have a cornichon, an olive and a pickled banana pepper on it. 
Everyone. You know what's good? Have you ever had a cheese toasty? No, but I want to now that you say like a cheese okay. toasty. Like it sounds very trendy. <laughs> okay. I don't know about trendy. My mom used to make it for me when I was a kid. So I may just be telling you like a family recipe. I don't know. But she used to have this like old school panini press in India, which looks like a cross between a panini press and like a weird like flippable grill. Ooh. I'm explaining this really badly now. But she'd put the bread, she'd slather it with mayo and then just cheese, cheese, cheese. But she'd use the grated kind and just really just yeah. get it all in there. And then she'd chop little chilies, like green chilies, and put it into the cheese and then smash it in there, get it nice and toasty. And that's it. That's a cheese toasty. I love it. Now, is this authentic Indian cuisine or is this... Oh God! I think this no. is just a. This is, may just be my house. Although we do, we did used to eat it on the roadside stalls sometimes at the mm. roadside stalls. I just love when you find like those oh, those items too that are like they cross cultures, and you're like whether whether it's an Indian dish, and you're like, wait, this is also be perfect in South Texas, like because you're also right. saying cheese and just chilies, mm -hmm. and like I could see myself on the road eating that in Texas, and I love when you find those fusion moments because. Everything's the same. If you once you once you realize that like everyone's got the same type of dishes, I th to me that's just fascinating. You're listening to Homemade. When we return, Richard reveals his dream Christmas meal, the most useless tool in every home cook's kitchen, and tips for the perfect confit. All that and more after the break. Hey folks, it's Hunter Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Food & Wine. This fall, we're launching the new Food & Wine Classic in Charleston with our partners at Southern Living and Travel and Leisure, and we want to see you there. This incredible three-day culinary experience will showcase the hospitality, food, drinks, and culture of one of our favorite cities in the country. Join us September 27th to 29th to learn more from iconic chefs, share a glass with innovative wine experts, and get to know Charleston with one-of-a-kind experiences curated by the experts at Food & Wine, Southern Living, and Travel and Leisure. Tickets are on sale now at foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. That's foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. See you down in Charleston. Thanks for listening to the season finale of Homemade. I'm host Sabrina Medora, and my guest this week is Top Chef Season 8 winner and mentor on the new Fox program, Next Level Chef, Richard Blaze. I want to circle back to something you said about the sandwich theory on Top Chef. You said that every dish you tried to do, you tried to hit that sandwich theory. Mm -hmm. I recall yeah. a dish you made, and I believe it was fried mayo. Yes. How would that translate into a sandwich? Well... I mean, we already know mayonnaise works yes. well with sandwiches. Um, and we also know that fried little things on top of sandwiches are great, like potato chips on a ham and cheese sandwich. Like when I was in high school, I, I thought that was the greatest invention that you know we ever made in the cafeteria there. So um, how would it go on a sandwich? I would just have those fried mayonnaise cubes on the sandwich. And now you have these crispy bits of warm, ooey, gooey, liquidy mayonnaise with crunchy breadcrumbs on it so you just add them or now that i'm just spitballing maybe the bread is two discs of fried mayonnaise which is Ooh. i've been i've been on tiktok too long <laughs> 
I've been on TikTok too long. You know, I bet that would be a hit. Or it's like instead of a fried green tomato, it's a big fried disc of fried mayonnaise. And that's, you know, like you got a tomato and you got bacon, you got that club sandwich and it's got fried mayonnaise on it. And it's just, mm-hmm. oh, when you, when you, then when you, you squeeze it, right? Like you got to get those, all those hearts and those likes on social media. When you squeeze it, <laughs> you cut into the middle of it, the mayonnaise is like just dripping out of it. And that's it. That's, that's how we eat nowadays, right? We just, we just go online and we see something that just looks outrageous and we're ready to order it. What's the most outrageous thing you've seen on social media that you have then made at home? Oh, no, I, you know what? Not, not too much, to be honest. I'll pick up little techniques. Like I just said, like, um, you know, cutting, like if you cut a sandwich in half and you open it up to the camera, like, I don't mm-hmm. know where, I mean, I was doing that on a show called Burger Lab and uh, that I, we had on YouTube like 15 years, 10 years ago, whatever it was. Um, but like little things you see, or like a, a, a classic TikTok move, people can't see me, but I'm like holding my, my LaCroix, my tangerine LaCroix right now, bringing it to <laughs> the camera, you know, like just little moves that you see. Mm-hmm. And some of it's just photography or just, you know, just film like that really, really helps out. You know, the I could barely hold this in my hand. The camera's looking down at my food and I can see a little corner of my sneaker because I also love sneakers. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I pick up little, little tips and techniques on how to present things, which is fun. I think one great thing about social media, whatever the platform is, is that it has made food fun. You know, yeah. like, uh, especially me, I, I am an older chef. I came from s- very serious kitchens. We are talking about my early days on Top Chef where I was a much more serious chef. It wasn't that I was a more serious person. I've always been sort of fun, but like we, I've, I was just trained to be so serious about food. And it's fun to every once in a while take a cube of butter and throw it across the room into a pan. I mean, be safe, kids. Get, get your parents' permission before you start chucking knobs of butter around the house. But I think that food is fun and social media has helped with that a lot. Yeah, I, I would say it's made fine dining even way more approachable. Definitely. It's, it's all, yeah, it's also created that, that good sort of like, well, what's the difference between a dish on social media or, or a dish in a restaurant? It, it, it helps both sides. Mm-hmm. This is a place where you can be a little bit more fun. I mean, Gordon Ramsay, who I'm doing a new show with, I mean, you, he's on TikTok dancing. And like, this is like, if, if you just said serious chef in the dictionary, probably Gordon's the picture of the most <laughs> serious chef most people would recognize from a television screen. And he's having fun and dancing with his kids and cooking on TikTok. And I, I just think that's great for our world. Oh my gosh. You said Gordon Ramsay. We, we've mentioned him a couple times on this podcast too, but I don't know why I suddenly remembered probably one of my most embarrassing food moments was at a Gordon Ramsay restaurant oh. at Heathrow Airport of all places. I was by myself. I'm going to blame the jet lag and the fact that I had some sort of crazy like 12 hour layover that happened by surprise. So I hadn't like planned for anything. But I went to his restaurant to have breakfast and I felt so fancy sitting at his restaurant. You know, I must have been 16 and I ordered, I think it was langoustine (laughs) and it came and I didn't know how to eat it. And I didn't know that, like, is the shell edible? Is it not edible? So I was, like, kind of, like, crunching my way through shell and not really quite understanding. And I was so embarrassed. I just will never forget that. Oh, no, but you should take the other side of it. You ordered the langoustine. You were so adventurous and so into it that you ordered (laughs) something that you didn't even know how to eat or maybe even what it was. And you had that experience. And now you have this great story. I've had a a similar experience in Heathrow with uh, my wife is off camera right now. But like the one time we had our honeymoon, we spent our honeymoon in London. And we at the airport, we got a British dish called a bacon buddy. Have you ever had a bacon buddy? It's a sandwich. It's like basically bread 
and a medium rare slice of bacon. And that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And it's like, you know, it was really like, you know, it's just like a lot of that, especially British food. It's just like, ah, oh, here it is. It's this and that. Or like you go to Spain even, right? And it's like, this is our, our most famous sandwich. It's ham and bread and <laughs> olive oil. It's so simple. But this was just a slice of like, you know, you know uh, British bacon. Right? I like medium rare bacon, by the way. But there's nothing else on it. And like we're used to like our breakfast sandwiches are croissants with an egg and cheese and sauce and all of these things. And anyway, I was disappointed. This was a long time ago. Now I want a bacon buddy, but I was disappointed. So the holidays are coming up. Do you have any fun plans? They are. Wow. Uh, holidays, we, were, we have been discussing the holidays a lot. You know, it kind of depends. So we usually split each year traveling. We have family in New York. We have family in Florida. We live in California. So it depends where we end up. I've always wanted to, though. Let me change the question. I've always wanted to just roast a goose. Oh, Like, like yes. I have, you know, we've cooked goose in restaurants and stuff, but I've never just been like, you know what, we're going to do a... We're going to roast a goose. It just doesn't mm. it sound like something it I should be doing. Decadent. <laughs> decadent. Yes. Fatty, drippy, delicious. Yes. Yes. And like I don't I don't know. I've never done that that's like the Christmas meal I've always wanted to do. We mostly end up eating out in New York City like Christmas Eve or the day before at one of my favorite restaurants Carbone down by NYU. As a native New Yorker, just like that very New York Italian food, a big bowl of rigatoni a la vodka sauce and um, some burrata, shave some truffles on something. And we don't get to New York as a family a lot, but this is a trip we usually take. And we'll be doing that again this year, I'm sure. So that's a tradition. I really need you to make this goose now. I know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to do it. No one's going to like it. I will say this. It's, it would be one of those things I'll cook at home and, you know, they're tricky. Geese and duck, like these are items that when you do cook them, most people tend to undercook them. Not, you know what? I should fry a goose. You know what? Now, you, now you've inspired me. You've you inspired me. We should fry a goose this year. I got the fryer out back. We should maybe sous vide it or, or slowly confit it and then for the last 20 minutes of it, just drop it in the fryer and just have all this crispy goose skin. And then drop some potatoes in the fryer that's been sort of perfumed with all of the the goose drippings. Now I'm getting hungry. Actually, this is me. I'm, this is I'm like literally my, I'm salivating. I was gonna say like <laughs> I, I feel like I'm doing. A, I feel like it's a casting. Like it's like I'm rehearsing for like a show. Like you know when you do get to do some of like the Food Network stuff, and it's like you have to be able to say things like ooey gooey, stretchy and chewy, and you have to like you have to be able to enunciate. And it's really tough when you're doing audio with food to make something sound delicious but like some words just do it drippings right you said it i said it drippings Drippings. yes of course i want my toasted bread straight fat slathered in goose drippings yes it works oh i'm thinking i'm thinking about maybe confiting some duck legs but but that's a little ambitious i don't know no it's not no not it's not ambitious walk me through it so confit which means preserved or cooked in its own juices or fat, to be more specifically, is the best technique in the world. Any, any slow roast, and it's usually all of the world's greatest food. Every culture have these dishes that have just been like, how did you do it? I put it in a pot and I cooked it forever. Like that's literally, <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter if it's mole or if it's beef bourguignon or if it's duck confit, uh, porchetta, like whatever it is, whatever culture. There are these dishes that just like, oh, how did you do it? Oh, we put it on the stove. We cooked it forever. So confit, you just re- literally just open a box of salt. If you, get, if you get a bay leaf and some fresh thyme and you pack these duck legs 
down for a, a couple of hours. You rinse off all the salt. That's the key to confit. If you've never confit, when you take the item out of the salt, you have to rinse it off because if you leave the salt on there, it's going to be really, really salty. And then, you know, I mean, nowadays you can go buy duck fat anywhere. So you go to the local uh, grocer and you get a pail of duck fat, which also sounds delicious. And you literally put your duck legs in duck fat. If you don't have duck fat, don't worry. Just use a neutral flavored oil, which is the most author thing I've said on this podcast so far. <laughs> a neutral a neutral flavored oil. Don't you love it's cookbooks? Like avocado, that, like, avocado oil, grapeseed oil. Grapeseed oil, maybe. Avocado to me might have a little bit too much flavor, but it could literally be whatever oil you have. I mean, if you had just olive oil and, and you had that sort of coin, go ahead and confit duck and all of that. Whatever you have is going to work. And you just slowly cook it. You just bake it in an oven, 325 for a couple of hours until you know the duck is just falling off the bone, just like anything else delicious. By the way, you know what my favorite thing is to confit? Tell me. Chicken wings. Oh, yeah. So you take the same technique that you use for duck, but you use it for wings. You pack them in salt. You rinse them off, rinse that salt. You cook them in a neutral flavored oil. And then after they've cooked in the oil, you throw them in the fryer under the broiler in the oven. You crisp them up. Chicken wings, confit for the big game. Number one hack. I love that. Well, I mean, you are the one that made me become a food writer, so it's hard to believe. But I, I thank I, now. I, it's you know, with that comes a lot of responsibility. It's kind of like it does being Spider Man now. It's so funny. I post that story every year. Every time Top Chef premieres, I post the same story on Instagram. Like years ago, I was sitting at my desk and at work, and I was so depressed, and I was watching Richard Blaze on season eight. And you really, that speech you gave, man, I mean, if I listened to it today, I'd oh. probably still weep. Like, it just gave me chills. But that love that you had, I kept thinking, oh, my God, he is so in love with food and what he does. And I just want to feel that way. And then I realized I was sitting there crying like an idiot mm. <laughs> in, in no. public. And well, I'm like, oh, well, I do feel this passionate. And hey, it's also about food. So here we go. And now here we are. Well, it's very reflective. So the first time you ever told me that story, you know, and when you go on a TV show and you start hearing, you know, certain stories like, oh, you inspired me or I, I changed my career, whatever it is, you realize like, well, what a big deal it is, you know, like that there's a responsibility every time you're in front of a microphone, every time you're in front of a camera, that you have the ability to affect someone's life and trajectory. And um, so like I take like it's an incredible honor for you to say that. And then it also, because I have anxiety, then I also feel the pressure. Like, oh my God, I hope you're doing well. <laughs> Obviously, you got your own podcast. You're crushing it right now. So like, it, it's working you know, out. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. But I get it. I have major anxiety too. So I fully understand. So the pressure's on. Because you want to be great. So yeah. it's, it's just like, you always hear athletes like, oh, I have butterflies before the game or the match or the bout or whatever. And that's normal. As long as it just doesn't become a constant thing. But like I told my kids, because I perform a lot of live shows now. This is the part of my world that people don't know. I, I go up on stage. I just came back from Iowa where we did two shows. I did five shows last week. And it's part stand-up comedy, part cooking show, part science class, part magic show. And every time I go on stage, I am still like, oh my God, will people like me? It's, it's like I've never done it before. Like every single time for that first three, five seconds, it's like I've never been on stage before. I've never been in front of a mic. I think that's good. It keeps us grounded. Okay, so to wrap everything up, I love hearing about chefs 
kitchen failures, whether it's at home or on camera. What's like a really big kitchen fail that you've had recently? Hmm, recently. You know where the biggest fails have come recently have been someone sent me, again, very blessed. I love when people send me equipment and stuff like that to try out. But someone sent me a pizza oven, like a mobile pizza oven that you just hook up to a propane tank. And it's awesome. Like, it's great because if you've had pizza iolos on or people that are into the pizza world, like the key is like you need 900 degrees of fire to make like a legitimate pizza. So I got this great pizza oven and I just suck at making pizza dough. Like I'm just really bad. So much so that my uh, youngest, who's 10, had one of her soccer friends come over and I was in charge of the entertainment that night. And I was like, we're gonna make pizza. Kids love pizza, of course, everyone loves pizza. And it just like, I, the, the outside of the crust was too burnt. The inside of the dough was too wet. And like, I just, and it's not just that one time, like just to be clear, <laughs> as I'm telling you about my recent failures, I continually fail at pizza. I try to make it too perfect, I think. I tr the dough is too wet. I, I look at really advanced recipes because maybe I think I'm better than I am. So I like look at the ultimate hydrated, no need pizza dough. Like just great. Listen, if you need a recipe, you know who's really great with recipes? Martha Stewart. Whether, yeah. regardless of how you feel about her, you just find a Martha Stewart recipe, you know that it's been tested a thousand times by 10 people and seven of them got fired during the testing process. <laughs> <laughs> like you know that the final recipe Truth. made it made it through some tough cuts. But pizza has not been working out well for me. So I will tackle it again soon. Okay. We are going to do a really quick segment. We like to call it Fire Five. I'm going to ask you five questions. They're super fast and you can't think. You just have to answer. Okay? Okay. All right. Most overrated trend in food? Stunt food. You know, just just stunt food. The whole you, you know people aren't eating it. It's 19 burgers on a sword uh, that's all drippy and gooey. Just 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 people doing things just for social media. It's an overrated trend. It still has to be delicious. You still have to fit it in your mouth. I'm guilty of this trend as well, but just over the top stunt food. Okay. Turkey or ham? The the probably the all year answer is ham, right? Like just the fact is, even when I'm cooking on Top Chef or when I'm cooking competitively, pork tends to be the go-to because it's more forgiving. Pork fat is totally different than beef fat or lamb fat, uh, and you can have much more success with pork. That's why everyone loves bacon. It's because of the fat. Totally overrated kitchen appliance. You didn't ask this question, but I'm going to give you the answer anyway. The potato masher. The potato masher has no use except to get your cupboards cluttered. It is the earlobe of the kitchen utensil drawer. There is no use for it. The potato masher. Don't tell me you use it for also making your tortillas or crushing up your carnitas or your ground beef for a bolognese. Don't tell me that. The potato masher is overrated. It's a tool that we don't need, and it should just go on every garage sale table this weekend. Overrated. Well, thanks for stealing my next question. Love love when the guest does that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> there we go. Um, but I was going to ask the most outrageously useless but super fun kitchen tool. Oh, uh, well, useless but fun. Useless but fun. Uh, yes, maybe it's not useless, but it's the rasp, right? The microplane, uh -huh. right? Which was 20 years ago, Everyone, the, everyone's micro. Do you really need it? You don't. You can mince garlic. You got a knife, 
you know, but like the, there's something, even just the sound of it, you know, you're grating cheese with it, ginger, garlic, it's got some uses, but you don't need it. Um, but it is my favorite, probably useless utensil because I like it. I like it. You got to watch your fingers, but it's the microplane. Yeah. Okay. And I'll probably That's have 10 one. other answers in 30 seconds, but I, th I thought you were going to say something like a smoker. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, listen, as the molecular gastronomist, you know, the immersion circulator, the vacuum packer, I love these things. And specifically for restaurants or if you're doing some heavy cooking, but you don't need them. You know what you need? You need water. You need fire. You need one good pan, some salt, pepper, vinegar, and that's all you need. And some organic vegetables. Done. Lights out. Yeah. Uh, who's tougher with judging, Padma or Tom? Tougher judge, Padma or Tom? You know, if wow. I mean, I, I'm, it's a cop-out answer, I guess, but e equally as tough, you know, equally as tough. I don't know. Both pretty hardcore critics. I mean, you, you're, you watch the show. I mean, what would your answer yeah. be? My answer is Padma. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, I mean, I think, listen, anytime you're cooking for a judge, the, the thing that is crazy about all of these shows is that if you learn a little bit about the judge, what they like, you know, do some research on them. At this point, there's been 20 seasons of Top Chef. You could probably go back and realize, as an example, a basic example, but Padma has a pretty high threshold for spicy food. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're a competitor on Top Chef, you should know that and you should... When you're cooking for her, if it is a dish that is supposed to have spice, that it should have spice or else she's going to ding you for not having spice in that dish. Tom, as an example, is, is very much a classicist of a lot of traditional European cuisines. I remember for me myself, I called something a paella once and it was more of a pilaf. And we're in this ridiculous conversation about the difference between paella and pilaf. You know, I mean, when I was younger, you give me a break. But like that's as a judge... That's something that he really looks to. Like, hey, I want you to, you know, if you're going to call something a name, it should really be what that is. Um, Gordon Ramsay, who's someone who I know really well right now. Gordon Ramsay is a technician. Gordon Ramsay is a technician. If you're cooking for Gordon and you say something is mid-rare, we all know it better not be raw. It's mm -hmm. raw. So like, you know, my, my lesson there is like, they're all tough judges. You, as, as, as someone who's cooking for them, you, you need to know, just like you do for your guests in your restaurant, generally speaking, what they like. Oh, yeah. Um, I almost feel bad to end on such a boring question, but I always like knowing this so I know what to stock my kitchen with. What's the kitchen tool that you just can't live without? I'm looking. I'm in my kitchen. Kitchen tool that I can't live without. <clears throat> okay. It is the heavy-bottomed cast iron pan, or even more specifically, pot, right? So mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what the brand is, but like a workhorse, you need heavy bottoms, cast iron pan or enamel coated cast iron. I'm looking at three of them on my stove right now. And like they get work. I have plenty of pots and pans, but there, there are like three pots and pans that get everything. Braises, soups, stews, pasta dishes, whatever it is. There's a couple of pans that just get lots of work and I'll work them for years. And, you know, and, and they last forever. So to me, that's the go-to kitchen utensil slash piece of equipment. Awesome. Well, I'm on track then because I'm the same way. Well, especially now too, like in some of these brands I work with, Le Creuset, they're beautiful. Like, like you mm -hmm. get the right color and then all of a sudden, like you got a great backdrop regardless of what your kitchen looks like. If you get that beautiful aquamarine or, you know, sunset rust pan back there, whatever it is, <laughs> uh, it makes a big difference. 
Yeah, I have two Le Crusade that I, I will say those are my basic go-tos for pretty much everything. Like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll cook in them year-round. But I do have a stove that I was given as a gift, and I love making um, biryani in there. Something Ooh. about the way it handles the rice, it's, it's just so good. Any dish that, like, cooks for a little longer or, you know, they're easy to clean. Like, they are. They're the number one. Then, and I'm also not a, I'm a big fan of a nonstick pan. A lot of people, when, when they hear that as a chef, they get very offended. They're like, oh, I thought chefs don't like nonstick pans. No. I mean, who really wants to make an omelet without a nonstick pan? Like, like you can do it, but like, like, you're just showing off. Like, you know, use a nonstick pan. Like, why? You know, we have the technology. <laughs> use, use the technology. You'll make a better omelet. But yeah, people give chefs a hard time about that sometimes. And that brings us to the end of our final episode for season two of Homemade. We hope you enjoyed as much as we have. As always, you can find all our guests on social media. Richard is at Richard Blaze. You can also listen to his podcast, Food Court, or watch him on Next Level Chef out January 2nd on Fox. Be sure to follow Homemade on your favorite podcast app. And listen, we're always looking for feedback on the show. So if you love us and have a second, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Sabrina Medora or at sabrinamedora.com. This podcast was produced by All Recipes with digital content director Jason Burnett. A huge thank you to our production team, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Daniel Roth, Jim Hankey, Maya Croth, and Andy Bosnack at Pod People. This is Homemade. I'm Sabrina Medora. And remember, cook with love, eat with joy. Listener.